Well, it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, Alexa, uh, Podbeam, wherever podcasts are found, Spotify, you can find this show. We have a lot to talk about. Last week, of course, we focused on uh, kind of the uh, the after effects, kind of post uh, Mississippi and Supreme Court, they heard the case, and, and so then a lot of people, uh, pundits, uh, started pontificating and figuring out, hey, what's the court's going to decide, what, where that, what's that look like? Uh, and so we're all trying to figure that out, and we're trying to read the tea leaves and, and, and get a glimpse of what maybe the judges are thinking. Uh, will they overturn Roe? Will they overturn uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood from 1992? Will they do uh, a mixture of the two? Will they simply change viability? and say that the 15-week ban is okay based on viability? Uh, will they say a 15-week ban is not okay, but we move viability to 20 weeks? I, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, but what we're here to do this week and every week is kind of give you a glimpse of, of what we can anticipate and look at what's going on around the country. And so today what I'm going to do is start in California. And the reason I want to do that is because we often are called extremists. So if you're pro-life and, and if you believe abortion is wrong, if you believe abortion is immoral, if you believe it's unethical, if you believe it's anti, anti-Christian, if you believe, uh, hey, abortion just isn't right, that it ends the life of a, of a human, if you, if you don't even believe in God but you think taking the life of a, of a baby in the womb is wrong, a lot of times you're called an extremist and we're labeled right-wing nut jobs and we're labeled uh, science deniers and we're, we're, we're told all of these things. But the reality is, uh, we're, we're also told that, that no one is pro-abortion, right? We hear that a lot. Well, no one's pro-abortion. We're just pro-choice. We're, we're not, no one is pro-abortion, and, and you're crazy to think that or say that. Well, let's look, look and see what California came out and said after the, uh, the Supreme Court heard the Mississippi case. What this also does is give us a glimpse into what the pro-abortion side believes is going to happen. Right, so they know that we have the amount of judges, theoretically, to overturn Roe. They know that we have Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett, Roberts, a Republican-appointed judge, but, but you know, many doubt that he will go with the conservatives on this case. So the, the pro-abortion side of things, they, they believe the writing's on the wall, and that we're at the very least going to see... Uh, a dagger be, be taken to Roe v. Wade or, or Casey versus Planned Parenthood. And so what they're going to do is the same thing red states have done. In, in red states like Tennessee and others have passed uh, trigger laws, meaning if Roe v. Wade's overturned, abortion will be outlawed in those states. And so what, what the blue states have done is gone the other direction. Well, if Roe v. Wade's overturned, we want to make abortion as easy as possible in our state. So New York has done that, Illinois, Hawaii, Virginia. Uh, and now California has taken it to a whole nother level. Listen to this over from the AP. With more than two dozen states poised to ban abortion if the Supreme Court gives them the okay next year, California clinics and their allies in the state legislature on Wednesday revealed a plan to make the state a, quote, sanctuary for those seeking reproductive care, including possibly paying for travel, lodging, and procedures for people from other states. 
The California Future of Abortion Council, made up of more than 40 abortion providers and advocacy groups, released a list of 45 recommendations for the state to consider if the high court overturns Roe v. Wade, the 48-year-old decision that forbids states from outlawing abortion. The recommendations are not just a liberal fantasy. Some of the state's most important policymakers helped write them, including Tony Atkins, the San Diego Democrat who leads the state Senate and attended multiple meetings. Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom started the group himself and in an interview last week with the Associated Press said some of the report's details will be included in his budget proposal in January. He said, we'll be a sanctuary, adding he's aware patients will likely travel to California from other states to seek abortions. He said this, we are looking for ways to support that inevitability and looking at ways to expand our protections. Abortion, perhaps more than any other issue, has divided the country for decades along mostly traditional bipartisan or partisan lines, not bipartisan, uh, divided them by partisan lines. A new decision overturning Roe v. Wade, with, which could come next summer, would put the culmination of more than 40 years of conservative activism. But Wednesday's report offers a first glimpse of how Democratic-dominated states could respond and how the debate over abortion access would change. California already pays for abortions for many low-income residents through the state's Medicaid program. And California is one of six states that require private insurance companies to cover abortions, although many patients still end up paying deductibles and co-payments. But money won't be a problem for state-funded abortion services for patients from other states. California's coffers have soared throughout the pandemic, fueling a record budget surplus this year. Next year, the state's independent legislative analyst uh, office predicts California will have a surplus of about $31 billion. California affiliates of Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider, got a sneak preview of how people might seek abortions outside their home states this year when a Texas law that outlawed abortion after six weeks of pregnancy was allowed to take effect. California clinics reported a slight increase in patients from Texas. Now, California abortion providers are asking California to make it easier for those people to get to the state. The report recommends funding, including public spending, to support patients seeking abortion for travel, expenses such as gas, lodging, transportation, and child care. Isn't that interesting? California is going to pay for child care for someone so that they can end the life of the child in the womb. It asks lawmakers to reimburse abortion providers for services to those who can't afford to pay, including those who travel to California from other states whose income is low enough that they would qualify for state-funded abortions under Medicaid if they live there. It's unclear about how many people would, inc- would come to California for abortions if Roe v. Wade is overturned. California does not collect or report abortion statistics. The Guttmacher Institute, a research group that supports abortion rights, said 132,680 abortions were performed in California in 2017, or about 15% of all abortions nationally. That number includes people from out of state as well as teenagers who are not required to have their parents' permission for an abortion in California. Planned Parenthood, which accounts for about half of California abortion clinics, said it served 7,000 people from other states last year. And it goes on and on and on. And so the, the, the sad part is, this is the, this is the part that, I'm, that, that really just perplexes me. So California would say they're a progressive state, right? California would say that they uh, care deeply about women and women's rights. California would argue that, that everybody should have maternity leave and, and men should have paternity leave. And California would argue that a man can, in fact, be a woman and a woman can, in fact, be a man. And California would argue that, that a man, a biological man who 
claims to be a woman can have a period and, and can have a baby. And they would argue that a woman who claims to be a man can, in fact, have a baby and have a period and all, all the things. So they would say they are not just pro-science. They are all the science. California has $31 billion of surplus after this year. It, it's estimated. Taxes are higher than, than pretty much every state in the union. A lot of people have left the state of California to move to other places for freedom. They've moved to Tennessee. They moved to Texas. They moved to Florida. California has all this going for them, they say. And, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to make it a sanctuary for anyone wanting an abortion. You know, California could say, look, we have all these funds and all these surpluses. We're going to try to make it easier for women to have their child. California could say, we're going to give stipends to those that choose life. California could say, we're going to increase maternity leave and paternity leave. California could say, we're going to pay for child care so that, that these women don't have to figure out what they're going to do when they need child care. California could say, we're going to, we're going to remove every financial obstacle for this mom so that she can have her baby. You know, California could do that, but instead they would choose to spend their dollars, taxpayer dollars, on ending the life of a human. Yet I'm the extreme. I'm the right-wing nut job. I'm the science denier. I don't care about women, apparently. Now, in California, they care about women unless that woman is a baby in the womb. Then, then they don't care about gender at that point. They don't care about feminism at that point. They don't care about women's empowerment at that point. You see, to them, women's empowerment is the ability to end the life of the human growing inside of you. You see, so, so when I hear this, that they're trying to make a sanctuary, first off, even using that phrase, that word, bugs me. But see, nowhere in that AP story were they called extremists on the abortion debate. You see, to, to the culture and to the narrative, being for abortion all the way up through the pregnancy, all, all nine months, that's not extreme to the culture and to the narrative and to the AP journalist, apparently. You see, that's not extreme to Planned Parenthood. That's, a, that's not extreme to the uh, lawmakers in California. It's not extreme to the governor there in that state. No, extreme to them is wanting to restrict abortion at any point in time. That's extreme. Extreme to them is wanting to remove financial obstacles so that people can, in fact, have their baby and their dreams. You know, California could go further and say, we're going to pay for everybody's college. And I'm sure they have some form of that in the state. They could say, and in fact, when you go to college, we'll, we'll pay for your child care for your child. We'll give you a stipend so that you can complete college while being a single mom. They, they could say all of those things, but, but they instead would choose to abort the child. Because in California, the, the empowerment movement means you can't possibly have your baby and your dreams. You've got to end the life of your child. But here's the, here's the secret. 
That's not empowering. It's not empowering. And I find it interesting. There's a, there's a movement in some small towns across the country to create sanctuary cities for the unborn. And the person that's heading that up is called an extremist and crazy person. Yet the sanctuary that he's trying to implement would save lives. The sanctuary California is trying to implement would end lives. Who's the extremist in that scenario? The one that's trying to save lives or the one that's trying to end lives? You see, we can, we can get into a debate on, on all these things and the ins and outs and, and all that, but the reality is it, it's as simple as, is it okay to end the life of a human or not? And they would say, well, is it a human? Is it not a human? Of course it's a human. We know it is. We know it is. How do I know? I've said it on this show hundreds of times. We know because when you're invited to a gender reveal party, when you're invited to a baby shower, when someone makes an announcement on social media that they're pregnant, what do you do? I don't care if you're a secular person, if you're a devil worshiper, if you're a gospel person, if you're a Muslim, if you're anywhere in between. 99.99% of people say congratulations. Why do you say congratulations? Because you're having a baby. Not because you're growing a clump of cells. Not because you're growing a blob of tissue. Not because we don't know if it's a human or not. We say congratulations because we know that we know that we know it's a baby. Everyone we make eye contact with on a daily basis proves that fact. Why is that? That's because all of us grew inside of a womb and had an opportunity at life. Some of us had amazing parents. Some of us had terrible parents. Some of us were put in the foster system. Some of us were adopted. Some of us made it all the way through the foster system and never were adopted. Some of us are millionaires. Some of us are in poverty. Some of us are in middle class. Some of us live in the city. Some of us live on farms. Some of us live in the suburbs. We all have one thing in common, whether you're Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, or the poorest of the poor. We all grew inside of a womb and had an opportunity at life. Yet, California is wanting to make a sanctuary for ending the lives of babies. We'll be back. As we continue the conversation, you know, on, on a number of shows, I've talked about the trigger law. And, and some of you may be going, what's the trigger law? And, and you know, the simplest way to say it is it, it triggers. So if, if Supreme Court overrules Roe v. Wade, overturns Roe v. Wade, then a trigger law would simply trigger a law in the state saying abortions are not acceptable or, or not uh, lawful in that state. Uh, so the question is, how many how many states have that? So there's a uh, article over at the Washington Post uh, by Casey Parks, and it says this: When the Supreme Court eventually hands down a decision in the Mississippi abortion case that heard December 1st, the ruling could affect abortion access nationwide. The case, which would allow Mississippi to ban abortions at 15 weeks, provides a clear path to the d- diminishing Roe v. Wade 
1973 ruling in which the court determined a constitutional right to abortion. According to the Guttmacher Institute, a research organization focused on reproductive health and rights, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, 21 states would ban or severely restrict abortion access. Some have pre-Roe abortion bans on their books that would become enforceable again, and others have passed post-Roe, quote, trigger laws, bans that would take effect if the Supreme Court overturns the law. Others are working to pass trigger laws now. So the question is, what are trigger laws? Uh, of course, Washington Post, you know, you gotta got to pay attention to the, the words that they use. This is what they say, anti-abortion lawmakers, again, it's no longer pro-life. They, they have to paint them as anti-something. They have to paint them in a negative view. Because pro-life means you're for something, anti means you're against something, and so we want to paint you as against something. Yet when they talk about abortion folks, they say pro-choice, because again, they're letting them know that they're for something. So they wouldn't call them anti-life, which is what I would call them, or pro-abortion, which is pro the ending of a life of a human. No, they're going to call them pro-choice, because that sounds better, and it's not as aggressive, and it makes them look better. You see, you see what they're doing? So they say over at Washington Post, anti-abortion lawmakers have longed hoped for a day when the Supreme Court might overturn Roe v. Wade. Rather than wait for that moment, a dozen state legislatures have passed that uh, laws that would become enforceable immediately or soon after the court overturns the precedent. Some laws, such as those in South Dakota and Louisiana, have been on the books for more than 15 years, but most, including the bills in Arkansas, Kentucky, and Idaho, passed during the Trump administration after lawmakers confirmed conservatives Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Oklahoma passed its trigger law this year. So which states have them? If Mississippi prevails at the Supreme Court, 12 states have laws that would ban or curtail abortion. Arkansas, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, and Utah. Four other states lack trigger laws but do have pre-abortion bans on the books that would become enforceable again. Those include Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, and West Virginia. The attorneys general for Arizona and West Virginia also signed a 24-state amicus brief supporting Mississippi's attempt to overturn Roe. Mississippi also has a trigger provision. If the court rules in the state's favor, it would allow Mississippi's 15-week ban to stand. Ten days later, a law banning all abortions, both the surgical procedure and abortions uh, by pill, would take effect with exceptions for rape if the rape has been reported to authorities. Fourteen states in the District of Columbia have policies that explicitly protect the right to abortion. The details of trigger laws vary by state. Most would ban the procedure outright with limited exceptions for cases of rape and incest. Tennessee's Human Life Protection Act allows only one exception when an abortion is necessary to prevent death or substantial and irreversible impairment of major bodily function. Several states, including Tennessee and Kentucky, would make it a felony for a doctor to perform an abortion, while women seeking abortions would be exempt from prosecution. Though banning abortion is currently illegal, the trigger laws have avoided federal lawsuits by delaying the effective date until the Supreme Court again allows states to make abortion illegal. And of course, that's what is going to happen. And, and see, they, they, they write this article and they paint all those states that would have trigger laws as kind of bad people. Oh, they don't care about women's rights. They don't care about women. They don't care about reproduction, all, all, all those things. Yet, when New York passes a law saying abortion is okay up to nine months, when New York passes a law that says if a woman is pregnant and is murdered, that the person that murdered her is only going to be charged with one death, 
even though the laws in the books previous to that said that the person would be charged with two deaths. So that's in a scenario where a woman is wanting to have her baby in New York. If a woman is wanting to have her baby, planning to have her baby, and is murdered, and her and her baby died, the murderer is only charged with one death. They did the same thing in Illinois. They dehumanize the baby in the womb. You see, when New York does that, when Illinois does that, when, when other states do that, you don't see the Washington Post and the AP writing articles about them saying how extreme they are. Why is that? Well, because in their mind, they're not extreme. How, how callous of us. Illinois went into their state constitution and actually dehumanized the fetus. Like, took rights away that were already on the books. Virginia, if you'll remember, Governor Northam, a couple years back, said that the process here in the state of Virginia is if a baby is born, then we're going to set it to the side and have a discussion with mom and dad about whether or not we want to keep this baby alive. He said that. That's not me making that up. That's not me taking him out of context. Because there's no context where that's okay. There was another legislator in Virginia that said abortion all the way up to nine months was okay. Even up until birth. Even if mom is planning on having a baby. And then right as she's about to push the baby out, all of a sudden says, I want an abortion. That lady in the state of Virginia said she should be able to have an abortion. Yet they're not called extreme. You see, the AP, Washington Post, and, and, these, and the like, and these very progressive states, they act as if they represent the populace, and they don't. How do we know that? We know that because poll after poll after poll shows that the vast majority of the populace wants to see at least some type of restriction when it comes to abortion. Now, the vast majority of the populace believes abortion is okay up until a certain point. Very few believe it's okay up until all nine months of pregnancy. Yet you have states like California and New York and others that are going to the extreme. I mean, if I'm a taxpayer in California, regardless of what, what I felt about abortion, my tax dollars are going to pay for out-of-staters to get abortions? We're going to pay for their child care? We're going to pay for lodging for them? So that they can end the life of their baby? Am I okay with that as a taxpayer? Again, I would encourage states to say we're going to have a fund that eases the process of having a child. I'd be okay with that. We're going to provide child care. So that they can have their baby. We're going to work on maternity leave and paternity leave and, and all these things so that they can't have their baby. We're going to work on programs that allow them to, to go and chase their education and also have their baby. You see, these are the conversations we need to be having. Leadership shouldn't be thinking, how can we get rid of babies? Leadership should be thinking, how can we make the process easier so that women don't feel the pressure and so that they can, in fact, have their baby? That should be the conversations having 
across the country, at legislatures, in governor's mansions, in churches. That's the conversation we have. How do we make the process smoother for them to have their child? Smoother for adoption. Smoother for foster care. How do we truly empower these families to have their children? You see, those conversations are hard. Making that happen is hard. It's easy to say, come one, come all, we'll end the life of your child. We'll just throw money at that, Planned Parenthood will be rich, all abortion doctors will be rich, and, and we'll, it'll be like a tourist attraction. Come get your abortion at California. You see what's hard? Hard is, is saying we're going to rally around these families so that they can have their baby. That's hard. We're going to make funds available so that they can uh, pursue their dreams and have their baby. That's hard. We're going to do better when it comes to foster care. That's hard. We're going to do better when it comes to adoption. That's hard. Well, they don't want to do the hard things. And shame on them. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation, there's a, in, in conjunction with what I just ended the last segment by talking about how the, the hard things are making it easier for women to have babies. That's the hard conversations to have. Uh, there, there's an article over at Newsweek that talks about in a post-Roe world, states can find common ground in supporting moms. You see, this isn't a, I think a lot of people think that the idea of supporting moms is a, a progressive view. It's not. Pro-lifers that are conservative want to support moms. Churches want to support moms. But, but the way our society is currently set up, if Roe is overturned, a baby in the state of Tennessee is going to have more rights than a baby in the state of California. That, that, that should concern all of us. A baby is going to have an opportunity and a chance at life in the state of Tennessee that they will not have in the state of California. And so, yeah, it, it's difficult to think of solutions. It's difficult to think of allocating funds to help moms that are in need. But I'd much rather my tax dollars go to supporting moms than ending the life of babies. I'd much rather our nation be looked at as one that, that goes above and beyond in supporting moms than ending the life of babies. Like, if you want to talk about a legacy, if you want to talk about something you leave for your grandchildren, then do what you need to do to support moms. Not doing what you need to do to end the life of babies. I can't imagine being Gavin Newsom and saying in front of a camera, we're going to have a sanctuary for those that want abortions in our state. And then going home to my children and they say, what did you do today? Well, we made it easier for women to end the life of their baby. How do you look in the mirror? How do you say that? I mean, while you're saying we're going to pay for child care, 
so that they can have an abortion. Why not just pay for child care? Now, can we take that too far and create a dependent society? Certainly, but I'd rather us err on the side of that than on the side of ending the life of humans. I'd much rather us be having a conversation of, are we doing too much for these families? Versus, how do we take their babies away from them? How do we take their babies? That, because that's what they're saying in California. We want to make it easier to end the life of their baby. How do we do that? That's what they're talking around a conference table about. They're not talking around that conference table about, hey, how do we remove obstacles? Why do these, women's, why do these women feel pressured to have an abortion? What is going on in the life of these families that they feel like the only answer is ending the life of the human growing inside of them. You see, that's what the conversation should be around those conference tables. The conversation shouldn't be, hey, Planned Parenthood, what would you like to see us do? And Planned Parenthood go, you know what? We make billions of dollars off abortion, so we would love it if the state would pay for abortion. We would love it if, if California would be a tourist attraction for abortion because that means we get to perform more abortions. You see, those conversations shouldn't be happening. What we elect leaders to do is to do the hard things. And the problem that we've seen over the last couple decades is the hard things aren't wanting to be done by the Democrats or the Republicans. They'd much rather prefer to kick the can down the road. That's why every year you hear people say, man, the foster care system's a mess. That's why every year you hear people say, adoption is just so difficult. Because we just keep kicking the can down the road. But what I want to see is leaders sit around the table and say, let's get to the root of the problem. Why do these women feel pressured to have abortions? Why do they feel as if they can't have a baby? Why are there families that feel as if they can't afford a child? Why do they believe that lie? Why are they struggling with addiction? Why are they struggling with housing? Why are they struggling with jobs? How do we fix that? But again, that's hard. That's difficult. That's going to take testing it out and spending some money here that, that well, we saw that didn't work and we're going to reallocate funds over here. But that's what we should be doing. And so this article over Newsweek goes into that just... A little bit. In 1973, the Supreme Court short-circuited the democratic process, overruling state efforts to protect the unborn by declaring a constitutional right to abortion. Of course, you know that. Ever since, the issue has remained a flashpoint in our discourse. Earlier this month, the court heard oral arguments in Dobbs v. Jackson, a case out of Mississippi that could lead to the curtailing of, or overthrow of, Roe, of the Roe regime. For all the passion, abortion inflames on both sides of the aisle, however. A decision overruling Roe might have a surprisingly small impact on day-to-day -day life. Progressive states like New York and California have already codified the right to an abortion at the state level. New York Attorney General has proposed devoting state funds to subsidizing abortion tourism to the Empire State. Red states that will enact stronger protections of the unborn following a favorable court decision already tend to have a smaller number of abortion clinics and relatively low rate of abortions. The greatest tensions will arise from blue cities within red states, college towns, state capitals, and other metropolitan areas surrounded by rural voters. Progressive activists in places like Austin, Baton Rouge, Columbus, or St. Louis will likely be outnumbered. 
Faced with an unfamiliar legal landscape, many will undoubtedly launch loud protests and spearhead a counterproductive resistance. But if they can work across the aisle, progressives may find conservative lawmakers newly willing to pass laws that materially support pregnant women and their children. Pro-lifers know that a world in which abortion is less available will require both government and civil society groups to do more to support expecting moms and the babies they carry. This should be an opportunity for left-leaning advocates to engage about what a more robust social safety net should look like for moms. Conservative and progressive lawmakers and activists will always disagree about whether abortion should be legal. They can find common ground, however, in making abortion less seemingly necessary for moms in economic distress. A perfect example of this potential for cooperation came from the state of Texas earlier this year. State Representative Tony Rose, a Democrat from Dallas, helped lead a successful bipartisan effort to extend Texas's Medicaid maternity benefits, which could cover nearly half of the pregnant women in the state for six months after birth. This common-sense provision, aimed at improving children's outcomes and reducing maternal mortality, attracted support from lawmakers across the aisle. States that want to pursue similar goals could take advantage of a little-notice provision in the Biden administration's American Rescue Plan which included funding for states that opt to provide pregnancy-related Medicaid coverage for up to one year after birth. Other low-hanging fruit could include expanding support for the women infants. Women, Infants, and Children Supplemental Nutrition Program, which is also known as WIC, which provides assistance to mothers with young children. In a typical pre-pandemic year, about 12 million women and their young children met eligibility criteria for assistance through this program, while just over half, 6.7 million, actually received benefits. States could take the lead in making those benefits more accessible and user-friendly to help more women with young mouths to feed. A Michigan pilot program, for example, developed a mobile app to help young moms make eligibility appointments and easily determine which foods are WIC eligible. Catholic Charities of Chicago operates entire stores for WIC participants offering exclusively WIC-eligible groceries, child care services, paternity establishment, tax assistance, and more. These efforts and others like them could be the first to step in providing moms with need support, with needed support, not just during pregnancy, but during the first years of their child's life and beyond. Of course, if the court rules to uphold Roe and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, there will be protests of different sort. Conservative pro-life activists will have made all sorts of moral and political compromises to attain a presumed Supreme Court majority only to have their best chance in a generation fall, fall short. The recriminations will fly fast and heavy, and the conservative movement may be in too much disarray to put muscle behind expanding safety net supports for expectant mothers. But if the court preserves the manifestly cruel Roe regime, programs aimed at curbing abortion's perceived necessity will become all the more important. Up till now, lawmakers on both sides have found reasons to avoid common ground approaches. In his book, Reclaiming Hope, former White House staffer Michael Ware relates how the Obama administration's proposed initiative to curb abortion rates took an expect, unexpected fire from conservatives for not going far enough. But the administration was also attacked by its progressive flank for even suggesting abortions needed to be reduced at all. In a post-Dobbs world, the political calculus may change drastically for each side. The injustice of Roe has inflamed America's politics for half a century. An optimist might hope that an injection of federalism into abortion politics could help us reach a more stable equilibrium. Yes, ending Roe would usher in a new phase of abortion policy, where unprecedented diversity in state policies could lead to unbearable tensions. But it could also force a productive engagement on what a policy agenda that puts pregnant mothers and children first could look like. What a novel idea. 
You know, th- this is the thing that, that I always am just, I, I don't understand. If you claim to care about moms, and if you claim that, that abortion is, is not the end goal, which many pro-choicers claim that, then let's put our money where our mouth is and help these moms. And if you're a conservative and pro-life, and you claim you don't want to see abortions, and abortions are terrible, and abortion ends a life, then let's do everything we can to make it easier for a mom to choose life. It's not that hard. We, we throw money at everything. Literally everything. Nonsensical stuff. Why not take a chance and throw money at helping moms choose life? Removing obstacles for these moms that have been dealt a bad hand. Removing obstacles so that these babies can thrive. But instead, the conversations that are had are, hey, how can we, how can we end the lives of these babies? How can we take more lives? How can we make our state a tourism destination for abortion? I mean, come on, folks. I think we can come together in a bipartisan fashion and say, let's help these moms. And in doing so, we'll help these babies. And in doing so, we'll see a decrease in abortion. We'll see a better foster care system. We'll see a better adoption process. We'll see more life saved. And we'll see more people out of poverty. And we'll see more people get a chance at life. We'll talk more when we come back. (laughs) It's almost Christmas time, everybody. So as we finish up the show today... Hopefully it's been productive. I always say that. I hope it's fruitful and, and maybe you learned something or uh, some point was made that, that made you think through a little bit more. Look, we, we get in our political silos. We get in our uh, religious silos. We, we get into these silos and we, uh, we just rant and rave. But the reality is, if our ultimate goal is to see less abortions and our ultimate goal is to see more babies saved and our ultimate goal is to see family units stay together mom, dad, and child, then at some point, conservatives and progressives, Christians and non-Christians, are going to have to come together and work collectively to see that those things happen. Study after study after study shows us best case scenario for babies. And so we need to do everything we can to work toward best case scenario. We need to do everything we can to remove obstacles for these women. That's why pregnancy centers are successful. Because our model of what we do is removing obstacles for these women. Oh, you have a financial obstacles. You can't afford a car seat. You can't afford a pack and play. You can't afford diapers. We're going we're to step in and help you. You don't know who to go to for your OB appointments. We're going we're gonna to refer you to someone that can help you. Oh, you don't know what it's like to be a mom. We're going to put you through parenting classes. Oh, you just need somebody to kind of walk through this with you. We're going to pair you with a mentor. You see, we do it on a, on a smaller level at the pregnancy center. There's only 3,000 of us roughly across the country. But if government entities, if churches across the country, if organizations across the country would come together and say, what can we do? 
to help these moms, to help these dads, to help these babies, then we might leave a legacy for our children and grandchildren that one day they would look back and go, I'm so glad y'all picked up the ball and ran with it. Because even if Roe is overturned, it doesn't immediately change things. We're still going to live in a country where if you're a baby in Tennessee in the womb, you have more rights than a baby in New York in the womb. Are we okay with that? Sure, I want to see Roe v. Wade overturned. Don't get me wrong. But I also want to see politicians stop pontificating Stop seeking to make millions in their office. Stop seeking to to be in the limelight with podcasts and and books and all these things and run for office all the time and they never really do anything because all they do is ever run for office. What I would love to see is politicians sit down with people that are doing real work, sit down at a conference table, Democrats, Republicans, Christians, non-Christians, community workers, community supporters, and say, let's for a second put abortion on the shelf and say, how can we make life better? For those in our community. How can we remove obstacles for those in our community? Is it a drug addiction thing? What can we do? Is it a low income thing? What can we do? It is a I I, I was dealt a bad hand thing. What can we do? And again, I'd much rather us err on the side of caution and on the side of life in spending taxpayer dollars, then err on the side of, hey, we just want to make it a tourism thing, come to our state and get an abortion. That doesn't make me proud of the people I voted for or the people that represent me. Because even if I didn't vote for them, they still represent me. And the last thing I want to know is they're sitting around a conference table going, you know what would really be great for tourism? If we just allowed anyone and everyone to come get an abortion. No, no, not okay. And the fact that no one in that room is saying, you know, we could really curtail poverty. You know, we could really help these moms with school choice to get their kids into a better school. We could really help these moms in a number of different ways, whether it be upping the WIC uh, payments or, or providing places for them to find assistance, making the, the adoption process smoother. You know, we could do a lot of things, but instead we'd like to do the easy thing and say, come here, we'll give you an abortion, and then we don't have to worry about all the hard stuff. Yeah, that's not why you're elected. And Christian, that's not why we've been called, to do the easy things. We've been called to do the hard things. And loving your neighbor is hard. So the question is, are we willing to do these things? Are we willing to have those bipartisan type conversations? Are we willing to step in and remove obstacles so that these women and their babies would have an opportunity at life? I hope we are. We'll talk to you next week.